Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 305. Today's topic is clean energy for Minneapolis. If you have any comments or questions about this content, please email info at theclimatereport.net. So we're going to be talking about clean energy for Minneapolis, and one of the major themes is localization. I would assert that what's more important than solar panels? Localization. What's more important than windmills? Localization. What's more important than electric cars or lithium-ion batteries? Localization. What's more important than a smart grid? Localization. So localization is where we have local control of our food system. We have local control of our transportation system. Local control of what I call stuff, that is the process whereby we order consumer goods from around the world. We have local control of our retail and local control of our land use. So we have local control of these things and the carbon footprint that they generate. We should have local control of our food system. We should have the option of getting most of our food locally if that's what we want to do, and yet we get a small fraction of our food locally just because of the way things are set up, because of how economical it is to get junk food from around the world or at least 1,500 miles away. We should have local control of our transportation system. That means when federal funds pour into our county and our region from Washington, D.C., we have control over how those funds are used. Currently, we don't, but we should and we should want to. We should have local control over how we order stuff from around the world. Stuff includes consumer goods. Stuff includes cars. We should have local control of our retail space and our land use for that. So, for example, McDonald's, if you have however many it is, 20 stores already in our county, fine. But we stop there and there's going to be no new McDonald's until the people of Jefferson County believe and decide and determine democratically that you have an ethical business. That means you have an ethical supply chain. That means your impact on the environment is ethical. That means you have an ethical relationship with your employees here and around the world. And we the people of Louisville, Kentucky should have the ability to say yes or no, thumbs up or thumbs down, as to whether McDonald's or Taco Bell or KFC or Papa John's has an ethical relationship with their supply chain, their environmental impact, and their employees around the world. Think of the positive impact we could have worldwide if we had control over these decisions, and I submit to you that by far the biggest part of our carbon footprint occurs outside the borders of Jefferson County.
Therefore, if we want to have control over our carbon footprint or our ecological impact, we need to have control over the food and the consumer goods that come in to our county and the land use, the, you know, the restaurants that get to locate here, the groceries that get to locate here. I'm not saying it will be easy to get that control, but I'm saying it's necessary to get that control and it has a whole lot bigger impact than anything we do with solar panels or windmills or electric cars. In fact, solar panels and windmills and electric cars have their own carbon footprint and their own ecological impact. So if we think it's just going to be business as usual, we're just going to plaster windmills and, uh, and solar panels everywhere and we're going to drive electric cars everywhere. And if we think that is going to have any discernible impact on our carbon footprint, we've got another thing coming. Because by far, the biggest part of our carbon footprint and the biggest part of our ecological impact stems from what happens to the goods before they reach our county. So with that in mind, let's talk about clean energy in Minneapolis. And it's, it's cool to talk about clean energy plans in other cities because there are some things that are the same as Louisville's clean energy plan and some things that are different and we can see some common themes. So let's start. Specifically, this is Minneapolis's plan for establishing a 100% renewable electricity goal. So let's read through it and then come back. Whereas, now every time they say whereas, it's like when a legislative body, whether it's a local council, whether it's the state legislature, whether it's the federal Congress, when they say whereas this and whereas that, they're, they're saying that these are the things that we find to be true and therefore we're going to enact this legislation. So whereas there is overwhelming scientific consensus that climate change is a real and major threat to human civilization and is caused primarily by the combustion of fossil fuels, and whereas the greatest burden resulting from an inadequate response to the climate crisis will be borne by young people, future generations, and the poorest and most vulnerable communities around the globe, and whereas on June 18th, 2013, Minneapolis adopted a climate action plan which seeks to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 15%, by 2015, by 30%, by 2025, and 80% by 2050, all from a 2006 baseline. And whereas the Climate Action Plan further commits the city to increase electricity from local and directly purchased renewables to 10% of the total consumed by 2025, and whereas the percentage of Minneapolis community-wide electricity use from local and directly purchased renewable energy has declined in recent years, and whereas Minneapolis has adopted an energy vision that states, in 2040, Minneapolis's energy system will provide reliable, affordable, local and clean energy services for Minneapolis homes, businesses, and institutions, sustaining the city's economy and environment and contributing to a more socially just community. 
And whereas the collaboration between Minneapolis Sustainability staff and the Siemens City Performance Tool shows that it is possible for Minneapolis to achieve its 80 by 50 target if the city, its utilities, and its inhabitants work aggressively to clean the local energy supply, among other measures, and whereas the cost of wind and solar energy is rapidly falling and a number of alternative approaches like community solar are making renewable electricity easier to access, and whereas for the purposes of this resolution, renewable electricity includes electricity derived from wind, solar, geothermal, and wave technology sources, and may include low-impact small hydro and some forms of biomass after these projects are evaluated for sustainability and environmental justice implications, but specifically excludes electricity de derived from fossil fuels, nuclear, incineration of non-biogenic municipal and medical waste, and large-scale future hydroelectric development. And whereas the renewable energy economy presents opportunities for workers in manufacturing, construction, and service sectors, and is essential that workers play a role in helping drive innovation towards a cleaner energy economy while creating and maintaining family-sustaining jobs. And whereas this energy transition is an opportunity to build equity for communities of color and indigenous communities that have been underrepresented in the energy field and marketplace, and the city of Minneapolis is committed to making the most of this opportunity. And whereas the financial and environmental benefits of renewable energy must be shared equitably across all economic and racial groups, and whereas the city of Minneapolis is committed to ensuring that all residents and businesses, no matter their race, income, wealth, or credit history, can access and benefit from renewable energy and energy efficiency through processes such as community solar and inclusive financing, and whereas on April 28, 2017, Minneapolis approved the establishment of two green zones aimed at improving health and supporting economic development using environmentally conscious efforts in communities that face the cumulative effects of environmental pollution, as well as social, political, and economic vulnerability. And whereas there are significant social costs caused by the use of fossil fuels, including health impacts to our communities through adverse effects on air quality and the uncertain long-term negative effects of climate change. And whereas there is demonstrated potential to leverage significant investment in renewable energy and energy efficiency through the Health Department's Green Business Housing Cost Share Program, and whereas the City Council has received a report from Finance and Property Services staff blueprint for powering Minneapolis municipal operations with 100% renewable electricity by 2022, and whereas Minneapolis, Excel Energy, and Centerpoint Energy have entered into the Minneapolis Clean Energy Partnership with goals of making utility customers more energy efficient, expanding access to and use of clean and renewable energy, increasing the effective collaboration between the City of Minneapolis 
Xcel Energy, and Centerpoint Energy to address energy and climate-related issues, and pursuing collaboration in a way that advances equity and other environmental benefits. And whereas Xcel Energy's projected 2021 fuel mix for the upper Midwest includes 30% wind and 10% other renewables, resulting from a strategy of increasing the use of wind and solar and offering customers additional renewable and energy saving options, and whereas the city of Minneapolis is committed to meeting its renewable electricity goals with as little reliance on purchasing renewable energy credits, RECs, on the open market as possible, and will give goal preference and credit for resources exhibiting additionality, regardless of REC ownership, such as community solar gardens and local solar installations, and whereas Xcel Energy's current and future renewable electricity generation mix will be counted toward municipal and community-wide goals with support from the city in its efforts to transition to renewable energy throughout its service territory, and whereas Minneapolis and Xcel Energy have begun work on the concept of a city-owned renewable energy facility which could serve both enterprise and community-wide energy needs. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the City Council of the City of Minneapolis, Minneapolis reaffirms and formally adopts a goal of reaching 100% renewable electricity for municipal facilities and operations by 2022. Be it further resolved that as a strategy to meet its aggressive adopted carbon emission reduction and climate change goals and move away from fossil fuels in all sectors of the energy economy, Minneapolis adopts a goal of getting 100% of community-wide electricity use from renewable sources by 2030 and directs the city coordinator's office to bring forward a blueprint by the first quarter of 2019 for reaching its goal. This blueprint should identify the following. The financial resources necessary to create this blueprint, timelines, milestones, and metrics for reaching this goal, the community outreach and engagement necessary to reach this goal, including the ongoing inclusion of young people in this process, necessary regulatory reforms, uh, reforms at the Public Utilities Commission and in Minnesota statute, energy efficiency strategies, the impacts on the necessary transition away from fossil fuels, strategies to ensure sure that all consumers, especially those who have been left out of the benefits energy programs in the past, communities of color, low-income communities, renters, and communities that have borne the brunt of past environmental racism receive equitable benefit from this transition, strategies that the city can employ to facilitate training and hiring people from within, communities of color, and women who have been traditionally underrepresented in the energy economy, the ways in which implementing this goal can improve individual and community-wide health outcomes, the ways in which this energy transition can increase the resilience of our communities and save Minneapolis residents and businesses from increasing energy costs, 
specific strategies to be implemented in the adopted green energy zones, the role of the clean energy partnership in reaching this goal, and be it further resolved that the city opposes the rollback of climate policy at the federal level and reaffirms its ongoing commitment to the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. Thus endeth the complete reading of Minneapolis' plan for establishing 100% renewable electricity. Now let's go back up to the top and read it line by line and comment. So the first paragraph says, whereas there is overwhelming scientific consensus that climate change is a real and major threat to human civilization and is caused primarily by the combustion of fossil fuels. Okay, I agree with that as far as it goes, but it doesn't go very far. What we have done is we're, we're hyper-focused on climate change and we have missed, we're missing the big picture. What we're trying to do is to save nature because we depend on nature. What we're trying to do is to save our life support systems and it's not just about climate change and it's not just about carbon. Next paragraph, whereas the greatest burden of resulting from an inadequate response to the climate crisis will be borne by young people, future generations, and the poorest and most vulnerable communities around the globe. Okay, yeah, right. The, the brunt of the negative effects of climate change will be felt by the poorest and most vulnerable communities around the globe and by young people and by future generations. That part is true, so what are we going to do about it? Does this plan truly address the needs of the most vulnerable people around the globe? Because if we're going to truly address the needs of, of our young people, our future generations, and poor and vulnerable people around the globe, here's what we need to do. Reduce defense by 90%. Reduce new cars by 90%. Reduce new planes by 90%. Reduce new roads by 90%. Reduce new pipelines by 90%. Reduce new buildings by 90%. Reduce fracking by 90%. Furthermore, we need a complete revolution in food. We need a complete revolution in transportation. We need a complete revolution in our supply chains that deliver these products to us. And, and we need a complete revolution in, in defense. What I'm finding is that these clean and renewable energy plans don't talk about any of this. The total focus is what we do inside the borders of our county. We're not looking at the supply chains that deliver us food. We're not looking at the supply chains that deliver us cars, including electric cars, and we're not looking at the supply chains that deliver energy. Next paragraph, whereas on June 28, 2013, Minneapolis adopted a climate action plan which seeks to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 15% by 2015, 30% by 2025, and 80% by 2050. So, we're going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Are we only going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions within our county, within our locality, within our region? Or are we going to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions attributable to the food we eat, the products we buy, the cars we buy? 
I submit to you that the greatest portion of carbon footprint occurs outside the borders of our county before we, you know, before the food reaches our plates, before the products uh, get, come inside of our county. The great majority of carbon footprint is attributable to what we buy before we buy it. The greatest portion of a carbon footprint and ecological impact of an electric car is not the lifetime of the car. The greatest portion of the carbon footprint and the ecological impact of an electric car occurs before you buy the car. Therefore, if we're only going to talk about emissions as if, as in what comes out of the tailpipe, we're missing the biggest part of the picture. The last I checked, electric cars need tires just like any other car. The supply chain that manufactures those tires is a toxic, polluting, carbon-intensive process. The last I checked, electric cars still need windshields and windows, which are produced in a toxic, polluting, energy-intensive, carbon-intensive process. The last I checked, electric cars still have doors and wheels and a transmission and a drivetrain, all of which are produced in a toxic, polluting, carbon-intensive, and energy-intensive process. If we don't look at the supply chain that brings us an electric car, we're not looking at the whole picture. And as a community, we're going to be snowed. As a community, we're going to get 10 years down the road. No progress will have been made because we've been following the wrong people, believing the wrong people, and trusting the wrong people. Mainly, we're trusting people who just want to make money and don't want to solve the climate crisis. In fact, we're dealing with people, if you look at Elon Musk, and he, recently he says, I'm going to give $100 million to anybody, the, the person that comes up with the best technology for carbon sequestration. What he means to say is the best technology that makes money. He doesn't mean the, the best technology. We have technology for carbon sequestration. It's called trees and grasses and bushes and forests and wetlands. We have natural processes that sequester carbon. But if you go down that road, it cuts into the profits of the people that matter. If you go down that road, it cuts into the profits of the substantial people. If you go down that road, it cuts into the profits of the people who count. Next paragraph. Whereas the Climate Action Plan further commits the city to increase electric electricity from local and directly purchased renewables to 10% of the total consumed by 2025. So this paragraph has the word renewables. Let's talk for a minute about what the word renewables actually means. So what's important here is not so much to get the dictionary definition of renewables, but to get the general impression that people have. So when you think of renewables, you think of solar energy. When you think of renewables, you think of wind power. When you think of renewables, you also think of geothermal. You can also talk 
about hydroelectric. And you can also talk about wave, you know, energy that is generated from the waves of oceans. But how renewable is solar power? Well, if you want the big picture, you have to include the supply chain that creates a solar panel. So if you want to look at the metals in solar panels, it includes gallium, germanium, indium, selenium, tellurium. So I just named six metals in solar panels. Each one of those has a supply chain. Each one of those needs to be mined. Mining is currently worldwide, uh, accounts for about 10% of carbon output. And the so-called renewable energy revolution is only going to cause an increase in mining with all of the side effects thereof. And whenever you have solar panels and windmills, both solar and wind are intermittent. So it means, you know, the sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow. So you have to take into account fluctuations. You have to take into account times when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow. So that means you need battery storage. Currently, the state of the art battery storage is lithium which is used to make lithium-ion batteries because lithium is a lightweight metal and it tends to hold ions. It tends to hold an electric charge better than most other metals. So we need lots and lots of lithium and the amount of lithium we need is only increased when we have lots of electric cars and we, when we have lots of solar and wind that requires battery storage. So what we're doing is we're adding a layer of industrial processes on to everything else we already have. And maybe we need to do some of that. I'm inclined to believe that we need to do a lot less of that than is currently supposed. We need to take into account the impact of the decisions that we make, and we need to not let charlatans oversimplify this whole inquiry because if they can get us to if they can get our minds engaged in a fantasy that says life is going to go on we just have to have lots of solar panels lots of windmills lots of electric cars lots of battery storage and then we'll be good to go because the sun always shines and it's clean and renewable but it's not that simple and these technologies are not that uh, they, they do have a substantial and sometimes disturbing ecological footprint. So what's the solution? Localization, local control of our food system, which generate, which, you know, generates a lot of energy. Every bite of food requires a lot of energy to get it to your plate. Every calorie of food we eat takes 15 calories to produce. Most of that comes from fossil fuels. Only about four of those 15 calories comes from transportation of the food. Much of the rest of it comes from the uh, car fossil fuel intensive fertilizers that they use to grow the food. I've only got a couple of minutes left. Let me leave you with something to think about. 
So what I'm saying is that so-called clean and renewable energy comes with a cost and it comes with a much greater cost than we are typically led to believe. You're listening to somebody who says, yes, we need to dramatically and drastically reduce our energy consumption and that is not going to occur just by plastering solar panels everywhere and driving electric cars. If we're going to dramatically reduce our carbon footprint and our ecological impact, we need a revolution in the systems that bring us food. If we're going to dramatically reduce our carbon footprint and our ecological impact, we need a revolution in the system that, in our transportation system and in the supply chains that bring us all of our consumer goods and we need a revolution in so-called defense. Most of these clean and renewable energy plans don't even say anything about these revolutions in the basic systems that deliver us what we consume. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Come back soon. Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 306. Today's topic is Clean Energy Minneapolis. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback related to this content, please email info at theclimatereport.net. So what we're doing is reading through Minneapolis's Clean Energy Plan, and what you'll find is where I'm coming from is that much of what is called clean energy is anything but clean. Much of what is called renewable energy is anything but renewable. Now here's my rhetorical question, and that is, why is it that most supposed solutions to climate change are products that people sell? When you think of solutions to climate change, you think of solar panels, windmills, electric cars, lithium ion batteries, and a smart grid. All of these things that are, all of them are products for people to sell. So, you know, even Louisville's clean energy plan to me is an invitation for multinational companies to come into our community and have their way with us, make us spend money on products that are deeply polluting processes and products. If you look at their supply chain, if you look at where they come from, if you look at what it takes to put these things together, you're dealing with lots of pollution, you're dealing with lots of ecological impact, you're dealing with a negative adverse impact on the human rights of the people who mine these materials and assemble these products that Wall Street companies then sell us for money so they can make a profit, so they can increase their wealth, so they can have more power. Doesn't mean we can't buy any products. Doesn't mean we can't buy any solar panels or windmills or electric cars. It means let's count the true cost of this crap before we buy a whole lot of it. In Hart Hagen's perfect world, what we do is reduce our energy consumption by half.
which we can do without, you know, when, when you think of, oh, we need to reduce our energy consumption by half. What people reflexively think, because we've been trained to think this way, but what people reflexively think is that I'm going to have to sacrifice. I'm just a little guy. I'm just trying to feed my kids, get them to school. I'm just trying to get to work. I'm trying to have a little fun in my free time. I have to give up all this stuff in order to save the planet. And it, you know, it's not a very inspiring message, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, how would you like half your time back? How would you like your freedom? How would you like half your time and half your money? I'm going to give you half of your time and half of your money. I'm going to give it back to you. The time that these multinational corporations have been sucking out of your life because we have to pay for defense. No, we don't. We need to reduce defense. You have to pay for a car. No, you don't. The, the fact that we have to pay for cars, $8,000 per year, has nothing, to, has nothing to do with the transportation that we need. It has to do with the transportation that has been imposed upon us because the transportation spending overwhelmingly favors cars and trucks, not trains and buses. We could have a transportation system that overwhelmingly favors trains and buses and what's called multimodal transportation, which is maybe you walk part of the way, you have a scooter part of the way or a bike. You know, we could have federal transportation dollars favor modes and means of transportation other than cars and trucks, but what we have going on is highways, highways, widening the highways. When are we going to widen another highway? When are we going to add another lane? Always, you know, can't seem to figure out how to, how to do a train, how to do light rail within a city or between cities. Just can't seem to figure that out. But we always have enough money and expertise and engineering and studies and implementation plans to build more highways. Highways favor cars and trucks, not trains and buses and walking and biking and scooters. And they want you to think that this is all a result of just, it, it, it's your fault. It's the fact that you're human and you have appetites and you have wants and you have a car that you think gives you freedom. No, it, it, it's not because of human nature. It's because the nature of the people that are in charge. If you want to know why we have the problems that we have, don't look at people that have no money and no power. If you want to look at the problem, why we have the problems we do, look at the people who have the power and the money and have the capability of changing things or keeping things the way they are. We have the, 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 the dysfunctional transportation system that we do because this is the system that makes money for a very few, very powerful, very rich people and corporations. 
we have the transportation system that we have because the transportation system that we have historically has made money for General Motors and for Standard Oil and Exxon, ExxonMobil, Sinclair, all of the oil companies and the car companies. And the last thing the car companies and the oil companies will allow to happen is a transportation system that works for people but is a dramatic reduction in the cars you have to buy and in the petroleum products that you have to buy. They're not going to let it happen. And yet, are we going to solve the problem of climate change if we maintain the transportation system that we have, just add electric cars. I submit to you that we will not solve the problem of climate change unless we also change our transportation system and we can do it in a way that gives you much of your time back and we can do it in a way that gives you much of your money back. But we have to understand what's going on. We have to know where the problem is and we need to know who is causing the problem. We need to know the people and the institutions that are really causing our problems and we need to stop letting them lie to us because they lie to us through the media because they own the media. We think we have a free press in this country, but we have a press that is owned by commercial interests and a press that is owned by commercial interests is never going to, a press that is owned by commercial interest is always going to tell stories in a way that favors commercial interest with a few isolated exceptions. So we're talking about the clean and renewable energy plan for Minneapolis. And I say most of the stuff they've written into this plan is going to be immaterial because it does not involve a revolution in, our, in the system that delivers us food. It does not involve a revolution in transportation. It does not involve a revolution in stuff. That is the stuff that we buy and the stuff that our government buys, mainly planes and tanks and missiles and bombs and surveillance systems. It does not involve a revolution in the stuff that we buy or the supply chains that deliver this stuff to us. And it does not involve a revolution in defense. We can have a revolution in our food system, our transportation system, our system of stuff, and in defense if we focus on three, a family of things. One is localization, uh, one is democracy, and one is a revolutionary transformation in those things. So those are the prevailing themes we'll hit upon as we're reading through Minneapolis's clean energy plan. Starting on paragraph six of their plan, it says, whereas Minneapolis has adopted an energy vision that states, in 2040, Minneapolis's energy system will provide reliable, affordable, local and clean energy services for Minneapolis homes, 
businesses, and institutions, sustaining the city's economy and environment, and contributing to a more socially just community. So one word that pops out in this paragraph is local. Refi reliable, affordable, local, and clean energy services. So, you know, local is a pipe dream in a globalized system. You're not going to get local energy if the solar panels you use are made from materials that come from all over the world. And you're not, and you're not going to have local anything if the windmills are made from materials that come from all over the world. You know, we can do some of that. It's just that as things stand now, we the people do not have control over these systems. We buy from the systems that are imposed upon us and our government buys from the systems that are imposed upon them. We buy from a globalized system that includes slave labor. I did a couple of episodes on slave labor in People's Republic of Congo and some very well-known corporations, including Apple and Samsung and Volkswagen and all the car manufacturers. Anywhere you have electronic technology, not least of all in our cars, you've got slave labor, you've got materials that were made from slave labor that comes from the Congo, and that's just for starters. Plus, anything that uses lithium-ion batteries has lithium that probably came from South America in the lithium triangle that includes Bolivia and Argentina and Chile. So these are processes where, you know, why do they use slave labor? Because it's cheaper that way. I submit to you that we will not solve this problem with climate change as long as we are exploiting people and natural environments and agricultural systems all around the world. Any company that is willing to make slaves out of people in other countries is also willing to make slaves out of you if they can. If they're not making a slave out of you, it's not out of the goodness of their hearts. It's because they can't do so just yet. Because what happens with our globalized uh, you know, economy is that it's out of sight, out of mind. Our retirement plans depend on these uh, corporations that, you know, you don't know what that corporation is doing. The, the corporation's power structure, the CEO, the chief financial officer, all the officers of the corporation, they are incentivized to increase shareholder wealth by maximizing profit. If they don't do it, they will be replaced with somebody who will. So any society that is willing to make slaves out of other people, you know, a, a business system, a, an economy, a power structure in government that is willing to turn their heads the other way 
while people are enslaved, how is that system ever going to result in meaningful action on climate change? Is that system going to be able to solve the problem of climate change? I submit to you that it's not. So another phrase that jumps out at me when I read this paragraph, it talks about a socially just community. Here's how to make a socially just community, and that is true democracy. Give people power, empower people, give people self-determination because social justice comes from below. Give people a right to say no to the polluting factories that move into their community and they will take care of the rest. Give people an opportunity to vote democratically on how their company is run and they will take care of the rest. People know what they want and they know what they need if you give them the power to make those decisions. But what we have in many of these clean and renewable energy plans is we have lip service to social justice, but how is that going to happen? You know, if you're if, if things look really complicated, you know, if you want to give people power, then make things simple. If you want to make sure people don't have power, then make things overly complicated. Here's how to make things simple. It's what I call local sovereignty. We, the people of Jefferson County, get a right to say no to new businesses that want to locate here if we deem that this is not an ethical business. Any business that, that utilizes slave labor is not an ethical business. We have an Apple store. Uh, according to, that, that I can find, the, there's this article that I read from, is from Amnesty International. So according to an article in Amnesty International, and the same thing, you can read the same thing in Forbes, but according to Amnesty International and Forbes, Apple and Samsung are profiting from slave labor in Congo because a metal called coltan is used in our devices. Apple, you want to make you want to have a store here? You can do that, but you have to clean up your act. Cuz we have determined, we the people of Louisville have determined that you are not an ethical business because your products contain materials that are made from slave labor and you have the power and the money and the means and the wherewithal to know that your products are made with materials from slave labor and you're not doing anything about it. That's unethical. You don't get to put your store in our community. And we can do the same thing with McDonald's and Home Depot and Starbucks and any, you have what, five Home Depots already? Fine. Draw the line there. No new Home Depots until we decide that you have an ethical business. You cannot get your materials from deforestation, from rapid deforestation. You cannot get your 
materials from clear-cutting forests and locate your business here. You can just locate your business somewhere else. That's how you create a socially just community. Give people power, not least of all, the power to say no to unethical businesses who want to locate in our county. Paragraph number seven in Minneapolis's Clean Energy Plan, whereas the collaboration between Minneapolis sustainability staff and the Siemens City Performance Tool shows that it is possible for Minneapolis to achieve its 80 by 50 target, that's 80% clean renewable energy by 2050, makes it possible for Minneapolis to achieve its 80 by 50 target if the city, its utilities, and its inhabitants work aggressively to clean the local energy supply. Okay, clean the local energy supply. Let's talk about what that means. If a supposedly clean local energy supply means we're going to generate our power through solar and wind, that is problematic enough. For one thing, solar and wind always require backup from a fossil fuel burning plant. Uh, sometimes that means coal plant, sometimes that means a plant that runs on gas, sometimes that means a plant that runs on biomass. Biomass is where you chew up a forest, turn it into wood chips, throw in some uh, old tires so it'll burn hot enough and then burn that. Or biofuels, where you grow corn in a way that is completely unsustainable, bad for the pollinators, bad for the bees, butterflies, and birds, bad for the water supply. You grow corn in a way that uses fossil fuel intensive fertilizers. You grow corn in a way that requires you to spray uh, toxic insecticides that are neurotoxins. You grow corn in a way that requires that you use Roundup, which courts have determined is a carcinogen. And then you take all that, you put it into a big machine, and you somehow turn that into ethanol or biodiesel. So in all this stuff, the biomass and the biofuels count as clean energy. They count as renewable energy Thank you, President Obama, for classifying biomass as clean and renewable energy so that we are subsidizing the destruction of our forests. So remember a little while ago when I said that if you want, if you want social justice, then give people power and knowledge. So they need to have the power to make binding decisions about the issues that affect them. That's what democracy is. Democracy is when you get to vote on the issues that affect you. We are told that we have a democracy, but sadly we don't because people don't get a chance to vote on the issues that affect them. Furthermore, the people of America do not have reliable sources for information about the issues that they might otherwise vote on or act upon. We do not have a media in this country that is designed to tell you the truth. We have a media in this country that is designed to make money 
And, you know, quite often, typically, overwhelmingly, they are misleading people. Name your commercial news source, whether it's the New York Times or the Washington Post or Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, even NPR, they are incentivized to lie for their sponsors. That's why, you know, we, we don't hear, we didn't hear very much about climate change for 30 or 40 years because, well, that's not good for the oil companies. That's not good for the war machine. That's not good for agribusiness to hear too much about climate change or who is causing climate change. So what got me off on that is the issue of who determines whether the local energy supply is clean. It says here we're going to aggressively, we're, we're going to aggressively clean the local energy supply. Well, how do we know? How do we know what is clean? How do we know whether the local energy supply is in fact getting cleaner? These issues are too complicated for the average person to know anything about. And, and when the average person does know something about how clean is the local energy supply, they don't have any power to vote on it. They don't have veto power over whatever processes are supposedly cleaning the local energy supply. So with the point being that if we want clean and renewable energy or anything remotely resembling clean and renewable energy, we will give people true democracy. We will give them, we will have a media system that gives people the information they need and, and will also give people the power to say no. Currently, the people of our country and our city do not have the power to say no to all these companies that just want to come into our community and have their way. Next paragraph says, whereas the cost of wind and solar energy is rapidly falling, and a number of alternative approaches like community solar are making renewable electricity easier to access. Okay, so the main idea here is that the cost of wind and solar energy is rapidly falling. That is something that you hear a lot. And I have a problem with it because the cost to whom? The cost to the seller of wind and solar energy, the cost to the buyer of wind and solar energy, but what about the cost to the people along the supply chain? What do we know about the cost, the true costs along the supply chain of the people who make the solar panels? What do we know about the cost to society of the concrete that goes in to solar power and wind power? What do we know about the cost to society of the metals that go into solar power and wind power? What do we know about the cost to the people of Bolivia for the lithium mining that goes on in Bolivia? So when they say cost, what they mean is out-of-pocket cost. They don't mean the true cost because producers and consumers don't have to pay the true cost 
Producers don't have to pay the true cost of what they sell, and buyers do not have to pay the true cost of what they buy. There are all these, you know, I've heard it said that the cost of a hamburger is like $200 if you count all the costs in. That, that's according to Raj Patel, uh, you know, who to me is a reliable source, who says that the cost of a $5 hamburger is really $200 if you take into account all the costs, all the deforestation, all the water pollution, all the health problems that are caused, uh, all, all the fossil fuel usage, all the emissions, all the fumes, all the manufacturing. The true cost of a hamburger is $200 if you count everything, not just the cost to the seller and the cost to the buyer. So are we going to count the true cost of wind energy? Are we going to count the true cost of solar energy? Probably not if you consider that people don't have the veto power over these projects, nor do they have the proper information to make smart decisions. I've got about a minute left. Let me leave you with something to think about. So what I'm saying here is that these clean and renewable energy plans ignore the long, polluting, catastrophic supply chain that exists not just for wind and solar energy and electric cars, but exists for all of the products that we buy. How do we change that? Localization, local power, local control. We need to have veto power, and we need to have the ability to vote on that which affects us. The food system affects us, but we don't have the power to change it yet. The transportation system affects us, but we don't have the power to change it yet. National defense affects us, but we don't have the power to change it yet. So what we need to do is to work with our localities and inform our elected officials and each other about the true costs of wind and solar power and electric car, about the true costs of hamburgers, about the true costs of these retail outlets that dominate our landscape, and then go from there. Thank you for joining me. Have a great day.